This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Thank you very much. Um, the opening night of Arnava in Flatbush was about 10 years ago. And um, I remember it very clearly. There were 16 girls at the... Um, at that opening today, Kanai Nohara, I'm sure you know a lot about Ornava, that it's uh, Baruch Hashem all over the world. We know of three and a half thousand women um, that we have on our list that have gone through Ornava. So um, if you do the addition, 16 started and we ended up with 3,000. So in 10 years, so there's probably three or four times that number, maybe five times that number in this room. So I guess Baruch will end up being much bigger. Um, than Flatbush. Anyway, thank you for coming out at night. Um, and um, it, it's, it's historic. It, it, when we started it with the 16 girls, so pretty much the way we the way Ornava works is that we listen to what the women want and that's what we do. We don't do what we want and then figure that you'll fit into our program, but you create the program. So if you have any ideas, uh, different nights, Wednesday nights are not a good night, or morning, whatever your ideas, please... Please um, share it with us, and um, that's that's. We started one night, and then girls said, "Well, we can't come Wednesday night. How about Tuesday night? Then we did Tuesday night, and Wednesday night, then about Thursday night. We ended up doing Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, month of shops. So, um, so we grow according to your needs. So you let us know what you need, and, and we're we're here. We're here to um, we're here to be mechanic Yisrael. Um, I'm sure some some of you heard my uh, share in the Gura convention. Um, um, and there's been a lot of reaction to it. I didn't bring it with me, but there's a Chassam Seifer um, that I said last night at my share. There's a Chassam Seifer, and the Chassam Seifer says, he asks on, on Al-Hanisim, so we say, that the Yavanim wanted us to forget our Torah. It should have said that the Yavanim didn't want us to learn Torah. Why does it say that? That means that they let us learn Torah, but they, they didn't want us to remember the Torah. So I don't, I don't have the exact Lashon over here, but he, what he says is that they wanted us to learn Torah because they feel the Torah is a subject. The Greeks very much were into the whole world, taking all the, you know, Hellenism, taking all the subjects of the whole world and bringing them, and bringing them into their Chachma. So Chachmas Yavan wanted Gemara and Chomish and Navi and all these things, but they didn't want them to remember it. So they turned it into, this is what he says, Chassam Seifer says it. He said they turned it into a subject. Once it became a subject like philosophy and all the other things that they had, they understood that the Jewish children, they, you learn the subject, you pass the test, and you're gone. You keep going, you go weiter. So, so their, their objective wasn't that they shouldn't learn it, but their, object, their, their objective was l'hashkicham tayrasecha. Their objective was to, to make them forget it, to make it a subject. So that wasn't my thing. I, I just happened to, to have seen in Chassam Sefer, and he, he, he talks very strongly that we need to make sure that the Torah that our children are learning is life. And, and life you don't forget. Who forgets life? Every second you're living, you don't forget life. Subjects a person forgets. And, and, and therefore, Torah, whether you're in school or you're way after school, when you say Tehillim, when you dive in, when you, when, you, when you learn, it, sh- it should not be something that you have to do, something that's a subject to do, but it should be something that connects you to Kosh and brings you life, which brings me to this week's Pasha. Because the first word in this week's Pasha is Vayichi Yaakov. And Yaakov lived. You see how I put it together? Okay. Well, you didn't know that was coming. But Vayichi Yaakov is a Pasha Stuma. Now, women don't get to see this. I wish I could take out a Sefer Torah and show it to you, but I cannot, because you can't take out a Sefer Torah just to use it as a reference. You can only take it out if you have to read from it. So it works like this. In every parasha, let's say between Boratius and Noach, there's a space. So that 
you know that Bereshit ended and you know that Noah started. There's always a space. It's usually six to twelve letters, that space. So it's very easy in the Balkara, we open the Torah, we know where to start because there's a space. I'm a Kohen, so I get the first Aliyah. So this week, when we read Vayichi, so the Balkara couldn't find it because there's no space between the last word of Ayigash, which is Ma'od, and the first word of Vayichi, which is Vayichi. There's no space. Now, what word is out of place? Not Ma'od from last week's Pasha. It ended where it's supposed to end. The word that's out of place is Vayichi. Vayichi was supposed to be moved over to the left. Instead, it's right next to the word Ma'od. Right? Vayichi Ma'od. He lived a lot. Um, so, so Rashi says it's called a Pasha's Stuma. It's a closed Pasha. And Rashi explains why is it a closed Pasha? Because Yaakov died in this week's Pasha. And the eyes of, of Yisrael, of Klai Yisrael, were closed. And we went into the Shibud, went into this Golas. Another shot that Rashi says is that he wanted, which is very interesting, which is a little bit what I'm going to speak about tonight, Chishev Legalois For some reason, Yaakov Avino felt it was very important telling his children when Mashiach is going to come. Now, why would he, why, why would he do that? Why would Yaakov Avino tell his children when Mashiach is coming? First of all, if you know Mashiach is not coming today, so you're not going to say, Animam and Munashalem, be a Mashiach. You're not going to say it. So we know that Mashiach is very part of our Emuna. Why would Yaakov tell him up front what day Mashiach is coming? So the answer is that sort of when a person is in pain, if you know when the pain is going to end, it helps you go through the pain. If you, if someone's sick and they're throwing up and they go to the doctor and the doctor says, Baruch Hashem, you don't have the flu. You have a 24-hour virus that I've been dealing with a lot of other patients. You go home, you really feel better. Because you know that within 24 hours you're going to be better. But if he says, it looks like you have a 10-day flu, oh, you get real sick. You call into bed, you can't get out. Right? Because in your head, Oh my gosh, for the next 10 days, I'm going to be sick. I'm really sick. When someone, so when you see the end of the pain, it makes you, it makes it easier for you to go through the pain. Now, Yaakov Avinu knew that Kleistro was going through this terrible gullus, you know, through, through the, through the pain of going through Mitzrayim, and he wanted to make it easier on them. So he figured if I tell them that it's going to end, and when it's going to end, they're going to be able to go through it. Which, of course, Akash Baruch did not agree with at all, and therefore did not give him the Kayach. He gave him the Kayach to give him a bracha, you should do well in the Gullus, but I'm not going to tell you when the Gullus is, is, is over. It's sort of, and, and it was interesting because when I gave my class last night, uh, no, in seminary to the girls, one of the girls said, I do this all the time. I looked at it and I'm like, Ooh. so it's sort of reading the last page of the book and, and knowing the ending of the story and then starting to read the book. Why would you do that? So as a, as a I don't know women, but as a boy, like, that's silly. If I know the end of the book, I'm not going to waste my time, right? Crying and thinking this guy's gonna die, she's gonna die, oh, this is gonna happen, it's gonna happen. I'm just gonna, if I go to the end of the book and I see at the end of the book, and she lived happily ever after, so what do I need all the emotion in the middle? It didn't, it's not gonna happen, it's not happening. So, I don't know people that read the end of the book, but this one girl said to me, I always read the end of the book. She said, I always read the end of the book. I don't have patience to go through the whole book. I said, but then what do you do? You buy a book to read the last page? She goes, no, then I read the whole book. I don't understand. Loyal <laughs> day, I don't understand. So, so, so a, a person's life, and this is what I'm going to talk about tonight. So, yes, we'd like to know what's going to happen tomorrow, but not really. But not really, because if you know what's going to happen tomorrow, your mom is not living today. Because life is all about not knowing, fighting, getting up when you fall, right? You don't know what's going to happen the next second, which is something that I'm going to talk about. That's what life is about. There's a very wise man who said, the man does not make the journey. The journey makes the man. In other words, you plan, 
I'm going to do this in life, I'm going to do this in life, and this in life. Uh-uh. Because Baruch Hu makes this whole thing, and that's who makes you who you are. And the, and the women that were here for, my, for, the, for the, uh, three, the six-hour session, so I talked about my life, and that the things in my life, the reason I'm standing here today is because of certain things that I went through. So everybody goes through a lot of different, different things in their life, and, and, and if you knew beforehand that that was going to happen, then you do something to make sure it doesn't happen, so you wouldn't have that ingredient in the cake. It, w- it wouldn't be part of you. You'd live a very boring life. In fact, Hashem wouldn't have to put you in this world. Because if you know the end of the story, so then everything else in between has no meaning. So, so our, there is no end to a person's, a human being's story. Our story is continuously written. It's not like a book with an ending and a beginning and a middle. We are continuously writing this book. And, and even though people don't understand that they have Bechira, somebody asked me this today, it seems to be one of the biggest questions. Like, how do I have Bechira? Hashem knows. Hashem knew this was going to happen. Right? So, where do we see this? This week's parsha. Yaakov Avinu switches his hands, right? Menashe was supposed to be on the right. He put Ephraim on the right hand because Menashe is the older one. And then he put his left hand on Menashe. So Rashi asked, right? Why, why did he do that? He, uh, he actually switched his hands. He put his right hand on Ephraim and he put his left hand on Menashe. And then Yosef Tzadik switched it back. And then Yaakov Avinu switched it back. And then Yosef Tzadik switched it back. And Yaakov Avinu switched it back. And Yaakov Avinu said, stop with the switching. I know what I'm doing. So Rashi says, why did he do that? Why did the Ephraim... <laughs> Especially Yaakov Avinu who went through the whole thing with Bechorah, with Esau, right? The whole situation. And went through Yosef Atzadik being sold. Now, at the end of your time, you're doing this again? You, 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 you're starting trouble? You're putting your right hand on the younger one? And the Bechorah is getting the left hand? Of all the people that shouldn't do this, should be Yaakov Avinu. He knows better than that. So Rashi says, why did he switch his hands? And Rashi answers, because he saw that from Menasha was coming a very big Risham. Menashe, the king Menashe, and very big Risham, and from Ephraim was coming Yeshua ben Nun, was coming very good people. So he said, I want to give a bracha to the people who are going to be good who are coming out, and I, I don't want to give such a strong bracha to the, to the, to the Risham. So one second. Where's the Bechira here? So it means that Yaakov Avinu saw in Ruch HaKodesh that there would be bad kings, very bad kings, coming out of Menashe. So it seems to be that those bad kings didn't have a choice. Yaakov Avinu already knew that they were going to be bad. So, how could you punish them for being bad if he knew already a thousand years beforehand they had no choice? So they had no Bechira. How can Hashem... Something's wrong here. So it seems to be that Hashem knows everything that you're going to do. And if He knows what you're going to do, then you can't do anything else. And if you can't do anything else, it's not my fault. You knew it. You made me do it. So there's a Zayar, and it's hard to explain. I understand that for some reason I absorbed it. I don't know, a lot of people have a big problem with it. Maybe because I think out of the box, so nothing's really normal. So this is not really normal. I can, I can, I, I can understand what, what, what the Zayar says. The Zayar explains this. And the Zayar says that in Hashem's world, there is no time. Past, present, and future is all the same moment. Why? Because outside of the earth, there's no sun. And there's no moon. And there's no time. There's no, there's no time out, out there. So, in Hashem's world, there's no time. So, past, future, and present is all one moment. Now, when we used to, when, when I learned it as a kid, right, it was very hard to understand. What do you mean? What do you mean it's all one moment, right? Past is so far away, future is so far away, and present is here, right? There's a famous saying, I'm sure, I, 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 women, I, I've heard this from, right? It's called the present because every second is a present. I don't know if it's Abe Lincoln or who, who, who wrote that, right? So, the present is a present because Right, so 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 now in the races in the Olympics, they have people that win by one 
thousandth of a second. They can take a second now on a clock and, and dissect it into a hundred or a thousand pieces. Which means that, let's say, let's say a hundredth of a second. And I, I, I saw a basketball game where the guy won the game, right? The last second. He won the game in like the 98th part of the last second. That's when the ball went into the basket. So they have this, they can break it up in time now. So that means that in one second, let's say it's a, there's a hundred parts, right? So the first 30 parts of that second are the, are the, are, is the past. The middle part of that second is the present. The other half, of, the other part of that second is the future. Which means that we, we can't take that little jump into no time, but we could jump into one second. That's a second. Okay, that's a second. In that, in that, when I just snap my fingers, there's a past, present, and future, and you can see it on a clock. So we can we can see already in our generation. You can take you can dissect a second and have the past, present, and future. So now you just have to squeeze it a little bit more into one moment. So by Hakadosh Baruch Hu, it's all one. So now, how did Yaakov Avinu know that Menashe? Right, the king, the king Menashe was going to be such a Russia. If he knew that, then what's Menashe having Bechira? And the answer is, the Ruch HaKodesh works. The only reason that Yaakov knew that Menashe was going to be a Russia was because he was a Russia. So now you're all think, you're all looking at me like, ah, it doesn't work. But it does work in a time where there is no time. So, it's very hard to explain to you, right? For instance, right now, that I am speaking in front of you, Hashem showed Adam, when he created the world, it says Hashem showed Adam from the first second to the last second what's going to happen. So Adam saw that I was going to teach you tonight. Now one second. That means that Rewaltzin had no choice. That I had no choice that I was going to end up here tonight. Like there was no way I could be going out to eat tonight or going somewhere else tonight. So I was forced to do this. So then what's the mitzvah of teaching tonight? So what did I do? I didn't do anything. I didn't make this choice. Adam saw it already. And the answer is no. Adam only saw that I'm teaching this class tonight because I'm teaching this class tonight. So how did he see it all the way back then? Because in a world of no time, there is no future or past or present. The only way I could explain this to you, I, so I accept it. I have no problem accepting it. When I learned it, I have no problem. I understand it. I really understand it. I do understand what the Zayar is saying. So the only way I can explain it to you is as follows. So there's a, I'll give it to you in a sports. So there's a, there's a basketball game and there's two seconds left in the game. And I'm sitting at the game, and the guy's about to shoot the basket from far away, and I see that right underneath the basket is a teammate, and I'm screaming at the top of my lungs, don't shoot, pass it, right? And he doesn't hear me, and he shoots, and he misses, and the New York team loses. Everybody walks out really upset. Why didn't he pass the ball? Okay, my friend is home. He could not make it to the game. He says, I want to, I'm going to video, videotape the game, Whatever you do when you come home, don't you tell me what happened, because then I'm not going to watch the game. I want to enjoy the, the New York game. Don't tell me what happened. Fine. So, I'm in the kitchen. He's watching the game. There's two seconds left. He's sitting on the couch, and he's screaming, Pass the ball! I'm in the kitchen, and I'm like, to myself, now he doesn't, and they miss, and they lose. Now, he doesn't know that. He's watching, he's like, oh my God, he's shooting. Oh, oh, he missed, we lost. And I already knew that. I already knew that. Now, how did I know that? Did I cause him to take that shot and miss? No. But I was at the game, present. He is watching the game, past. Right? 
No, for me, actually, it's past. For him, it's present. I watched, I was at the game. So for me, it's past. He's watching the game on television. For him, they're playing right now because it's on video. He doesn't know, right? So his present is my past. But I know that they lost the game because they already lost the game. I did not affect them to lose the game. I just happened to have been there. And he's now watching the movie. Exactly. That's the only way I could explain it in a, the most human way that I could. So you have Bechira. The only way Hashem sees what you do is because that's what you're doing. Uh, I'm trying... What? Every, every second. In a moment. In a world of no time. In a moment. So, so our Bechira, we have Bechira. So Menashe had Bechira. Yaakov saw that this man was going to be a Russia. Therefore, he did not want to give his koyach, his bracha, to people that, to, to Menashe where there's going to be Rishon. He would rather give it to Yeshua and to where there's going to be Sadiqim. But I heard very different Eretz, which I think is so, so, so important. It's a beautiful Eretz. And the Eretz I heard is as follows. In Pasha's Miketz, Yosef had two children. And the first child, Yikri Yosef Hashem HaBachah Menashe. He called him Menashe. Why? Ki nashani elokim es kolamoli. There's kolbeis avi. Because God gave me the ability to forget all my pain and my family. So here's Yosef, sold by his brothers, alone in Mitzrayim. And he doesn't have a family. He's very alone. He doesn't have a family. Now he gets married and he has his first kid. And he's saying... Baruch Hashem, I don't need those brothers I, who sold me to Mitzrayim. I don't need anybody else. I am now creating my own family. So thank you, Hashem, that you gave me the ability to forget my pain and to forget my family. Oh, Menashe. And he had a second son. His second son, he named Ephraim. 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 Ki Hifrani Elokim Be'eretz Ani. Because Hashem multiplied me in the land of my pain. So the first name is, I forgot my family, I forgot my pain, Baruch Hashem, I don't need them anymore. The second one is, Hakar Satov. Thank you Hashem, that even though I'm in Mitzrayim, in this terrible place, right, you gave me the ability to multiply. Said Yaakov Avinu, I will not put my right hand and the, the stronger part of my bracha on a name, on a person whose name, his ikker, his source, is to forget your family and forget what you went through. He says, no way. That doesn't get the right hand. That gets the left hand. The right hand gets the kid whose name is named because of Akar Satov. And we know, and I made my seminary crazy, that a person's name is their essence. And there are many arguments between parents and husbands and wife, what name to give, and back and forth and back and forth and back and forth, and all of a sudden you come up with this name by the bris or by the, by the daughter. A person's name is their source. They were very big tzaddikim, they looked at your name, they knew a lot about you. There's no question, a person's name has a lot to do with them, who they're named after, what their name is, the numerical value of their name. Your name is your passcode to the next world. When you come to the next world, they ask you what your pasik is. Your name is very important, not your last name. Your last name is just the last 500 years. They used to not, they were never last names. But the first name is, is who you are. How do we know this? How come Yaakov Avinu didn't, didn't name Reuven Avraham after his grandfather? Avraham wasn't alive anymore. Why didn't he name him after Avraham? Avraham Avinu is a pretty big name, right? It's a very big tzaddik. Why didn't he name him Avraham? That's what we do. 
right? After his grandfather. And the answer is that he had to bring all these koichas into the world. Ruvain, Yehuda, Haida, all, every single name of every single of the Shvatim, the Pasik tells us why they were given that name. The name has a reason. Yehuda has a reason. Reuben has Reu, right? Every Shimon, every single name has a reason. Yosef, Benyamin, every name has a reason. So every person's name that's in this room, right? And, and, and then the girls started making me quit. You have to tell me my name. And I said, I don't do this. You know what I mean? My name's this, my name's that. First of all, half the people have Israeli names. I have no idea even what they mean, right? So, but, but every person's name is their essence. So, so Yaakov Avinu said, the essence of forgetting your family? The essence of forgetting what you went through instead of using what you went through to grow and to help others? I am not putting my right hand on that. My right hand goes on the boy who's his essence, his essence, his name is Akras Hataif. Then in a bad place, no matter what I'm going through, you gave me, you, Hifrani, you, you multiplied me. So that's why, this, 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 this Chazal says, that's why he put his right hand on Ephraim. And that's why when we bench our kids Friday night, we say, Yisim Chalukim Kefraim Mochanasha. Ephraim's first. Ephraim's not first. Ephraim's the younger one. Why do you say Ephraim first? Okay, so he switched hands. Very nice. But why do you say Ephraim first? And the answer is because Ephraim, when you bench your kids, the bracha, the most important bracha to give your children, who the women who are bringing up your children and the girls who are not married who are going to bring up children, the most important midah that you can give your children is Akar Satov. I can tell you that. I'm a Rebbe for a long time. If a child appreciates, then that, that child can have a relationship. A girl can have a relationship with her husband, and with her parents, and at work, and a person who doesn't appreciate, nobody wants to have anything to do with them. A coffee type. So the, the bracha that we give our children, Yisimcha Elohim Ke'efrayim, Uchamanasha. The first bracha that I give my child, it should, it should be like Ephraim. The person should have Akaras Hataif. And I, it's, I mean, I'm not trying to sell the book, but I'm in the middle of writing this book on Akaras Hataif, and I have no Shiloh that this is a, a, a game changer, because if husbands and wives would appreciate each other, we wouldn't have Shalom bias problems. And if children and parents would appreciate each other, we wouldn't have this generation gap that we have. And if we would appreciate Akaras Baruch Hu, we would have a very good relationship with, a God, with God. And those are the three major problems that we have in Klaistel today. So therefore, the bracha that he gave for Gullus, when you're going to go into Gullus, if you want to make it through Gullus, you have to have a Karasatov. I am very, very big on, on Kibbut of Aim. And I know it's a very hard thing, and some people have had very hard lives and, and dysfunctional uh, relationships with their parents, or whatever it is. But if you open up the Shulchan Aruch, and I started, I started giving my classes in, in, in seminary with learning Hilchas Kibbutz For some reason, nobody teaches this in schools. Why not? This is. I, 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 it's it's very scary. It's very scary. One hundred percent. I met Hashem. I remember. I will bring it with me, and I will. It's Shulchan Aruch. It's, it's the same Shulchan Aruch that tells you how to keep Shabbos and 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 all the halachas. It's not. It's not. It's not Moser. The girls are like. It's not Musr, it's not Ashkafa, it's number five in the Ten Commandments. And you know why it's number five? It shouldn't be in number five. The first, the first five of the Ten Commandments have been Adam Lamakam. And the second five has been Adam Lachavero. So what is Kivit Aim doing with Ben Adam Lamakam? And the answer is that if you don't have Kivit of Aim, then you cannot have covered for Akkadish Baruch Hu. So Akkadish Baruch Hu said Kivit of Aim goes in the first five between me and you, not between two people. And we don't see by many places. And I have to tell you that most people have no idea of the Allah of Kivar And they're extremely strict. 
And I do not understand. I tell schools, you're busy with therapists. You're busy with all these people coming in and speaking in the school, how relationships between parents and children. You don't teach them. It's the same Allah as Hilcha Shabbos. And it's very scary. Your parents can walk in and, 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 and it's, it's the first, one of the, it's the third halakha and kibbutz of the aim that if a person is a rav and he's sitting in front of his shul and everybody is there and his mother and father walk in, it's halakha, and they walk in and they spit in his face and they rip his clothing and they hit him in the head and they curse him. He's not allowed to say one word. So the shulchan says, how is he going to sit there? And the shulchan answers, Think about, I have to fear Hashem. So, do you have to sit and get abused by your parents? For sure not. The Shulchan Aruch says, get up and get out. Don't, don't answer them back, because Mekal of Imo, Mois Yamus. A person who curses his parents, Mois Yamus. And a person who causes Chabura, hits his parents, Chatzvashal, Mois Yumos. So don't stand there and, and, and get hit and get abused. Get out. Shulchan Aruch says, you can always get out. There's no lack. You see, kids, people don't know this halacha. Walking out of your house and leaving and not talking to them, you're not over kibbutz of aim. But if you're in their house and they slam you one, you can't say a word. So don't be in the house. Don't get slammed. And, and, and if you're in the house and they ask you to do something and you don't do it, you're over kibbutz of aim. If you're not in the house, right? So I tell kids that, I, that whatever, so sometimes you have to leave. And, and sometimes if every time your mother calls you or your father calls you, you get into this big fight and you get depressed and you got to take medicine and you, and you, and you can't, and, 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 and she's triggering you like crazy, don't call her. <coughs> Doesn't say in Shulchan you have to call her. But if you call her, you better talk to her correctly. Now, people don't know this, so they don't know what to do, what not to do. Isn't it better if I call her and I have a fight with her than not to call her at all? And they think it's better to have a fight? No. Chatz v'shalom. Chatz v'shalom. You're not even allowed to agree with your parents. Do you know that? You're if you agree. If your mother says, um, Tati, you look really good in that suit, you can't say, I agree. Because that means that you're putting yourself on the level of your mother. Forget about disagree. You can't agree. And if she's doing something wrong in halacha, wrong! She's, Mamas, you came home and you learned all your halachas, Shabbos, right? We all go through this. And those kids are in the Lama Test Malachas, right? Tati, you can't do this. And Mommy, you can't do this. And you're like, listen, that's what I... All the parents answer the same thing, whether it's halachically right or not. Listen, that's what I saw at home. Sorry, I don't care. I don't care, why, I don't care that I'm paying $25,000 a year for you to go to get taught and you're, and you're, and you're, and you're being taught these halachas. Don't come home and tell me this because this is what my mother used to do, right? But Lamaisa, even if they're doing Kenegan halacha, you're not allowed to tell them you're, you're doing Kenegan halacha. You have to tell them, I think that I might have learned in school that this might not be exactly what you should do. That's how you have to talk to them. You can't say, what are you talking about? My rabbi, the rabbi, she told us we're not allowed to do this. You don't talk like that. Be so careful. So why? Why, Hashem? Why do I have to be so careful? They yell at me, and they kick me, and they rip my clothing, and they did all this to me. Why do I have to be so careful? If another person does this to me, right, I, I could maybe hit them back, or for sure, I don't have to take it. So why my mother and father can do this to me in front of everybody? And the answer is that the basis of it is Hakar Satov. They brought you to this world. Ah, who asked them to? <laughs> I deal with this all the time. I didn't ask them to. It was their deci- that was their decision. I'm like, I know, but now they brought you into this gold mine. They brought you into a place where your neshama could be massacring itself, where you can do mitzvahs, where you can help the, where you, where you can help the world. So let's say, let's say someone, you didn't ask somebody, but they, right, brought you into this beautiful, huge bank, and they said you could take all the gold and silver that you want. Right? So you're going to complain to them 
that, hey, why, why, I didn't ask you to. You're going to collect all the gold and silver, and you're going to say thank you. So the truth is that, yes, they brought you into a world, and, and we're going to talk about this. And in this world, in one moment, in one moment, in one second, everything can change. You could be at the bottom of the barrel, and Mama should be way out, and in one second, because Boko has a kayak of one second, that everything in your life can change. In one moment. And that's why the word Vayichi is stuma. Because life is closed. We don't, we have no idea. We have no idea from one second to the next what's going to be. We have no idea from one second to the next what we could do. We have no idea. Potential, that, the beauty of this world is just potential. That's it. The other world is much more beautiful. But it says one second in this world of mice and toy and mechuba is better than the whole Ganadin. We talk about Ganadin, Kisya, Kavay, Hashem. One second, what do you mean one second in this world is? And then the mission says, but, but one Kairas Ruach, one relaxing second in the other world is much better than all the greatness of all the good stuff in this world. Make up your mind. And the answer is potential. Potential is the beauty of this world. And that's why Chazal someone dies and the potential is over. That's why we sit shiver. The whole beauty of this world, potential. Growth. That's why plants grow. When Hashem first created the world, it took one second to have a child. It says Adam Chava, when she got, when she be, when she conceived, she gave birth. There was no nine months. When, when he, he put a seed in the ground, it didn't take time to grow the seed, the seed, boom, a tree grew. There was no, there was no, no, no waiting, no time. Now, right, after the, after the sin, the beauty of our world is, yeah, you have to plant. In the curse is the beauty, you have to plant, and you have to water, but the Gemara says, that if I have tomatoes, that I planted, and I worked, and then you stole a pound of my tomatoes, you have to pay me back nine pounds. But if I bought a pound of tomatoes in the store and you stole a pound of tomatoes, you just have to pay me back a pound of tomatoes. Why? Because the other tomatoes or potatoes I grew, I worked. You you stole something from me that's not worth it's not a, it's not it's not a pound of tomatoes, it's a pound of tomatoes that I worked on. That's the same thing in life. What a person works on is worth a lot more than what a person's given. I, I find it in my school, in my high school, that the, the girls want to work. They don't want to sit there and get a degree in high school because they colored and they, and they made flowers and we treated like a bunch of dopes. They want to work. And they stand there at the end, I graduated. I worked. Everyone thinks that giving it to people easy, that's what they want. It's not true. Growth, when you do something with your own hands, that, that's life. And, 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 and that's potential. And that's why, even though our parents didn't ask us and we came here by force or whatever it is, but they put you in a room of gold. They gave you the ability to, to be massacring things and to, and to do crazy stuff. The problem is that we don't believe it. So if, if I don't believe it, so you put me to a dungeon. You don't put me to a room of gold. You put me to a dungeon. So I want to tell you, I want to tell you two stories. One, called a very famous story. It's one of my most famous stories. But I, uh, I haven't said it. I, I say it more in, in different places. Um, I think the last time I said it was in the five towns. But it's called the red light story. I don't know if anyone ever heard this story. But it's a ridiculous story. It's a true story. So in Chicago, there was a, um, a girl from a totally non-from family. Mom is totally disconnected from Yiddishkeit. They were Jews. That's all they were. They were Jews. And they wanted her... Her name was Miriam, and they wanted her to, to know a little bit about Judaism. So there was one of these conservative reform day schools. And um, they had school on Sunday, not day school even, a Sunday, like Tamatora. 
So they decided they're going to send her to, to this Talmud. So she'll know something about Judaism. So they sent to Miriam, first grade, second grade. Meanwhile, this was a reform school. So they, they didn't allow, they had from Orthodox teachers, but you weren't allowed to invite any of the girls for Shabbos. In other words, they didn't want Basiaka girls teaching there and taking these kids from non from families, right, and, and making them keep Shabbos. So the rule was you could teach them what did we tell you about Israel and history and this and that, but you cannot make them religious or you lose your job. Okay, in sixth grade, Miriam had a, a teacher she became very, very close to, a Basiaka type of girl teacher who she became very, very close to. And one day she goes over to this teacher and she says, could I come to your house for the Sabbath? And this girl thinking to herself, if I bring it to my house on Sabbath, I don't have a job anymore. But you know what? what what's, the, what's the essence of me teaching just to make money, right? If I can make this girl from, so I'll lose my job. She says, no problem. Miriam, next week you'll come to me for Shabbos. Fine. Miriam comes there for Shabbos. Now, Miriam never saw Shabbos. Her mother doesn't like candles. She doesn't know nothing. So, this teacher comes down with her candles, and she lights them. And she's about to light them, actually. And Miriam looks up at her and says, um, where are my candles? And she says, no, 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 I'll be Yotzi. I, I light and I'll have you in mind. She goes, no, no. I, I'm never going to get a chance to light candles. My mother doesn't light candles. We're not religious. Could I light two candles also? Sure. And, and show me how you do it. So she takes the two candles, the teacher, and they make the bracha. And, she, and the teacher says, Miriam, when you light candles, the Jewish lady, it's like she's in the temple. She could ask for anything she wants. Miriam, whatever you want, just make a wish, right? But don't blow out the candles. Make a wish, but don't blow out the candles. Fine. Kachaya. So, she goes ahead, and she lights the candles, and they have Shabbos, and it happens to be that the teacher does not get fired. For whatever reason, I just happen to know the whole story, the teacher does not get fired, fine. Miriam goes back home, 6th grade, 7th grade, 8th grade finished, no more Talmud Torah. Now they have to send her to high school. Now in Chicago, on that side of Chicago, it's a very, very bad neighborhood. So they decide, these, these parents, there's a, there's a school right across the street. And it's a high school, but it's a Catholic, private, Christian Catholic high school. Right? But they, they have no connection to Judaism. They have no problem. It's a very good school. with a very good education. So they take this little girl, Miriam, who was anyway going to public school, just Talmud Torah on Sundays. And they send her to this private Catholic school. And she goes to this Catholic school, and slowly but surely Miriam becomes Mary. Totally forgets that she's Jewish. You know, does the church stuff. She's part of the school. They're all her friends. Totally forgets about her Yiddishkeit. Okay. One day, she goes then to college, also a private Catholic college. I think they said Xavier. I'm not sure what the name of whatever it was. And she meets this guy, Vinny, Italian guy. And they fall in love, and they're going to get married. She tells the story. This is how she told it. Okay. So, it's Shabbos, and they come with the limo, with uh, getting married, with all the cans in the back, you know, the guns and mices, and the three girls in the limo who are dressed alike. It took me a while to find out. They're called bridesmaids, right? And she gets into the car, and they're going to church. Miriam, Mary, is going now to marry Vinny on Shabbos, in church by a priest. Okay. So, they're on their way. This is how she tells the story. They're on their way, and they're on their way to church. These three girls that are there, they bought her something, and they're all excited. Should we tell her? Shouldn't we tell her? Should we tell her? Shouldn't we tell her? And she's like, hey, you let, you let the cat out of the box. You know, what do you got? What's going on? They said, we bought you something very beautiful, but we don't want to give it to you till we get to church. She says, no. You're my friends? Give it to me now. 
They're like, no, yes, no, going back, you know, girls, whatever, back, forth, yes, no, maybe so, whatever. And finally, they make a deal. Okay, Mary, if you close your eyes, if you close your eyes and you promise not to look, we'll give you the present. Of course, I promise, I swear, I, I will not look, fine. So, they open up this pouch, and this velvet pouch, and in it is this chain, a gold chain, with a cross. Gold cross with diamonds around it. Right? And they're buying her this beautiful, well, beautiful whatever, cross for her, for a present, for her wedding. Her eyes are closed. She's like, what's going on? What's going on? What do you have? What do you have? Like, time, relax, relax. Fine. So they take the chain, right? And they're like, you can't look, you can't look. And they close it behind her neck so she knows she has a, some kind of necklace. She goes, oh, I got a necklace? They say, yes, but that's not the beautiful part. The beautiful part is the charm. Can I look? No, nope, not yet, not yet. And the girl is holding the, the cross in her hand. And she says, not yet, you still can't look. And she lets go of the cross. When the cross hits Miriam's body, all of a sudden, this, this is what she says, okay? All of a sudden, from her neshama, from her soul, comes out this huge scream. No! That's how she says the story. And I want you to know that that no from my soul, from my neshama, went all the way to God's throne. God's sitting on his throne. This is her perception of what happened. And God says, what was that? Where does that scream come from? And the Eitzahar is up there and he says, oh, no, God, you don't have to worry about this one. This one's one of mine. She's on her way to church to get married to Vinny. This is not, this is, this. I'll handle this. All of a sudden, this little angel comes walking out. Says, God, one second. Um, it's not fair. We have to give her a chance. And the, and the sultan says, what do you mean give her a chance? She's going to church on Shabbos. She never kept Shabbos. She never did anything. She's going to marry Vinny. What, what kind of chance? Who are you? He says, always, oh, this is what she said. She says, every time I come here to get a Jew into trouble, there's always that little angel. Now, what are you, what are you doing here? So Hashem says, what, what, who are you? And the little angel says, I'm the angel of when Miriam lit Shabbos candles. She lit Shabbos candles and she made a bracha. And I'm the angel. I am those Shabbos candles. And I say, you have to give her a chance. And the Sutton's like, I can't believe this. How long, how long was she at those Shabbos candles? So check it out. 40 seconds. So Hashem says, she has 40 seconds to do tshuva. She spent 40 seconds at the... We're going to give her 40 seconds to do tshuva. Okay, let's go back to Earth. Okay? We're back on Earth. They come... This is a true story. They come in Chicago. This... Now, she... What I'm telling you is not... In other words, she was sitting there having a good time with her friends. She did... This she says after... You'll hear at the end of the story. Right? She's... She, there was no... No screaming in the, in, the, in the limo. Her soul wasn't screaming. She was in a limo. She was on her way to church. But this is what, this is what was happening. Anyway, there's a jet convention. A bunch of jet girls from Brooklyn, from all over the place. In Chicago... And they're on the corner and they're totally lost. They cannot find the shore. She pulled the, this car pulls up to a red light. And this Jewish girl that she sees, she knows right away. She can recognize her teachers were dressed like that. So she, she sees that they're, they're mumbling and mumbling. And one of them comes over, it's red light, comes over, the windows are open, and says to her, by the way, do you, do you know if there's a temple, Mariah, whatever it's called, base, whatever it's called? And she says, sure! I used to go to school. It used to be a reform school. I used to go to school there to learn Torah. And this girl, and the light turns green. 
and she says, pull it over, pull over the limo. They pull over the limo. This girl looks at him and says, you learn what? She goes, you learn Torah. She goes, well, well, that doesn't look like a Mag and David around your neck. Are you Jewish? She says, yes, I am Jewish. So the girl says, so, so why are you wearing that? She says, it's a long story. I'm on my way to a wedding. I'm on my way to Vinny. And, and I'm getting married. So this girl's thinking she's a Jeff girl. She's thinking, oh my gosh, it's Menhashamayim. I should be here. And this girl, I'm going to change the whole world. You're in my carver. She's going to end up being like Tarashnira, opening up all the schools. It's like she has all these dreams. Like, uh, Kirif, right? So she, got, what, what she says, well, how could you get married if you're a Jew without a rabbi? So she says, well, well what rabbi would marry me? She goes, I don't know any rabbi would marry you, but definitely have married you're a Jewish girl. You need a blessing before you get married. Why don't you follow us to the synagogue? I'm sure the rabbi will give you a blessing. Because you really mean that? She goes, yeah. Fine. They go to the shul. The limo pulls into the, can you imagine? It's from shul, right? Limo pulls into the, into the, into the parking lot. And they're like, Come, come on, come on. We'll, we'll go get a bracha from the rabbi. So these four girls are into it. We're gonna, we're gonna change our life, right? So she gets out of the car. It's interesting. And they, it must have been a Brooklyn girl for sure, because she had a lot of guts. And she says, she says, I have to ask you a favor though. You can't, you can't wear the cross in, in the synagogue. You have to take that off as respect. She goes, oh, sure. I didn't realize. I'm not used to it. I just got, oh, for sure. And she takes it off and she puts it down on the thing. And she, when she says over the story, she says, my neshama was like, whoa. Right? She comes into shul. They bring her up, they were still diving downstairs, so they bring her over to the women's section, right? Now, all these women are sitting there, these women from Chicago, thank God they were out of towners, right? In walks, you have to understand, these four Jeff girls with this girl in a wedding dress, and I'm sure it wasn't very tzniyas, right? And the Rebbitson is sitting there, and she says to the women, don't say anything. She's probably a Balas Chuva, and she took this whole Shabbos Kala, you know, the Chadayi Kala. She probably doesn't know, and she took it very serious. And if you're going to make fun of her, don't say anything. Anyway, Hashem runs the world. Oh, does he run the world? When does she walk in? At the end of davening, they walked in. The end of davening, they're singing right in Kelokeno. There's this little choir of boys singing in Kelokeno with the Ashkenaz minion. They sing in Kelokeno, and then they sing Aleinu, and then they sing Adam's Mirrors, and they're beeping outside. Everyone shows like, what's going on? Someone's beeping, right? And 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 and, and the Rebbe's like, just just my husband will be with you, and two men just you know. And she's sitting there, and she says, I never, I was never in a shul in my life. I was never in a shul, and I'm sitting there, and I'm listening to these little boys sing, and I think, I think, it's a, I think, it's a, I think I'm in a choir of angels. I think I'm in heaven. I, everyone's dressed so beautiful. It's just we don't we don't appreciate what we have. I'm coming from the outside. It's like she walked into everyone's in a suit, and, and the women are all dressed for Shabbos. These little boys are singing. Forget about it, right? Adam's mirrors that say that are in a cottage. It's like she walked into like a dream world. Anyway, the Jeff girls were telling the Reverend, "We we gotta do something." Right, so they tell her a little bit what's going on. He comes, she comes downstairs, and everyone's looking. The whole show is like, "What's going on here?" And she goes over to the rabbi. She says, "Rabbi, I'm, I'm on my way to the church to get married. Very beautiful. What I just saw you guys doing. Um, can I get a blessing?" And he says, "Well, don't you feel that you're Jewish? You should get a rabbi. A rabbi should marry you." She goes, I, w- "I would love that, but I, I know it's your Sabbath." He goes, "No, I, th- I think that you need to learn about where you come from." And learn about who you are, and and then we'll see what we can do for you. So she says, "You would do that for me?" He says, "Yes." So she goes back to the car, 
and they're already going crazy, these other three. They're already, they already figured that Satan lost a little bit over here. Anyway, to make a long story short, they're like, what are you making us wait for? Vinny's going to be angry. They start screaming at her on her wedding day. And she turns to one of them, and she says, you know, you and Vinny, you and Vinny like each other. I know that behind my back. You know what? The wedding's set up. The church is set up. You marry Vinny. And they get into this huge fight, almost hair-pulling fight, right, in the parking lot of the shul. Anyway, she runs... She goes to them for, for, for lunch. To make a long story short, the rabbi took her in. He sends her to Neveh in Eretz Yisrael, right? She ends up becoming a Baal Tshuva. She ends up meeting a guy that sort of went almost through the same thing, whatever it is, who became a Rav Aral Chassid. They make a shidduch. She ends up marrying a Rav Aral Chassid. Go figure, right? She marries a Rav Aral Chassid. How do I know the story? Because two, there were two seminary girls. The seminary used to send these girls out to Rav Aral, to Svardim, to see how Jews live. And these two girls, one of them was a teacher in, in, in Kranai Teshiva, so sh- these two girls went to that, ha- were sent to that house. And they couldn't understand what's going on. They come to the house and, you know, they put their stuff down, whatever it is. And the mother, right, comes down in a wedding dress to light candles. And there's like three little boys on one side and three little girls on the other side. The husband goes to Davin and she mamish stands in front of the candles for 45 Minutes, like a, like a kala. She has people who don't have children, and she do him, and she's mamish davening and crying for 45 minutes. These two seminary girls are watching this, and they're like, oh my gosh. This is like, my mother doesn't do this, right? And what's with the gown? Like, what's with the gown? Because they, they didn't know the story. They didn't know anything. So they're thinking, or of our chassidish women, wear a wedding gown when they light the candles, you know? Who knows? You know, we don't know. What you don't know, you don't know. Fine. She finishes lighting. She sees, she sees like, huh, what they're asking. So she sits down and she tells them the whole story. And she says, I want you to know that I was macabre on myself, that since I found Yiddishkeit on Shabbos, and I really feel that lighting those candles on Shabbos, that God gave me those 40 seconds. If you go outside and you check out a red light, it's 40 seconds. That red light saved her life. Had it been green, she would have never stopped. She would have never spoken to these girls. Nothing would have 40 seconds! Took a girl from marrying Vinny. Listen to this: marrying Vinny on a church in a church with a priest on Shabbos to be married to Rav Aral Chassid and having beautiful children. And how many days are going to come out of there? Forty seconds, because she didn't allow this woman to light candles without her lighting candles. That's why he. Pasha Stuma. She had no idea in her wildest dream that those 40 seconds would change someone's life in such a, such a change. Unbelievable story. But that's, that, that's why it's such a present to be here because a red light can change your whole life. A red light. And imagine what this Jep girl, Hus in the next world. All those diaries. All those diaries. She was in the right place at the right time, but but she did something about it. She didn't just say, okay, goodbye. That's the godless ladies of being in this world. That's why it's he. That's why it's stuma. Because what you think is a little, is a lot. What you think is a lot, is a little. You have no idea. We just have to do ours. Like I said, our novel was 16 girls, and that's all it was going to be. And it was going to cost me a year, $4,000. Right? That's what I thought. That was a lot more zeros at the end of that four. But that's all I thought. I thought it was going to be 16 girls. How long is it going to last? A few months. Have a good day. We don't know. You, you have to do yours. So I told this story in the five towns. When I finished telling the story, five ladies came up to me. 
And they said, Rebbe Wallerstein, great story, but we know it's not true. I said, excuse me? Not only it's not true, but you made it up. I said, first of all, if you think that, you shouldn't be telling it to me. And second of all, I happen to know that it is a true story. Why are you saying that? So they looked at me. They said, Rebbe Wallerstein, there is no way that that girl, Miriam, was able to fit into that gown after she had four little boys and three little girls. They said, you're laughing. They said, seriously. I'm like, excuse me? That's right. It can't be true. I'm like, I'm like, she definitely had it taken out, if that makes you happy. That's what makes you happy. She definitely made it sneeze, right? So she already brought it to the tailor. I said, oh my gosh. That's what you got from the story? You were focusing the whole time? On, oh my God, he said three girls and four boys and fit into the same dress. It's the power of the Yitzhahara. You could, you could hear, you could hear the most amazing things and there's this little thing, oh, can't be true. Every moment, every moment. Why, why am I excited about this story? Because, because we, we think, we think that to turn around a life, I have to do so much work and it's going to take so long and I'm not going to get where I need to be. 40 seconds, look where she went from. And where she ended up in 40 seconds. So I say that everyone in this room, including myself, we have many red lights. The problem is that when they turn green, instead of stopping and changing, we just go through. We, we heard a speech and we're like, oh my God, I'm going to change. On Lashon Hara or whatever, I'm going to change. And it's a red light and you stop and I'm going to change. And then oh, you get busy and oh my gosh, I just got a piece of Lashon Hara, I got to hear it. I mean, they just, I just, I've been waiting for something on this woman for the longest time, and now my friend just told me, oh my gosh, did you hear about so-and-so? It's like, oh, wow, I wish I wouldn't have gone to that shit. But you know what, I can listen to one, and, and you just go right through. And after 120 years, you're going to come up to Hashem, and you're going to say, you know, you never gave me a chance, Hashem. You, know, you never gave me a chance. He's going to say, really? 40 seconds, a minute, red light, red light, a sheer of this, something happened in your life. You stop, you thought, he'll show you all those red lights. And then he'll bring Miriam out and say, look what she did with the red light, and look what you did with the red light. So that's what this, that's what this Pasha is telling us. This Pasha is telling us that by Yechi, Yaakov, you know, what are you going to tell me the end of the story? You're going to tell me the end of the story, nothing's going to, nothing's going to be, they don't, they don't need to be in this world. If, if the story is, you know, the end of the story, so what, what do we, what, what's the struggle? The struggle is, the struggle and, 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 and sometimes the struggle is very hard. But that's, that's life. That's what life is. If we're going to tell you the end of the story, there's no life. It's a closed book. Forget it. Have a good day. Why don't you read the book? Go to Shemayim. We'll show you a movie, what's going to be, and, and then you don't have to come here and live it out. What are you living it out for? It's going to end up in a certain place anyway. And on top of that, things change. We can change things. Till it changes. A lot of things have the power of changing things. So what are you showing me then? So Yaakov Avinu, because he wanted to help his kids. He wanted to tell them what's going to be. But you know what? And I think this is a very big lesson. You can't do everything for your kids. You got to let them do something for themselves. You can't baby them. Because if you baby them, they have no life. Yaakov Avinu wanted to baby his children here. I, I, they're going to go. They're going to suffer, and they're going to get depressed. Let me tell them when Mashiach's coming. Hashem's like, no. No, because there's no growth. They're not going to grow. They're not going to have the kayak. The whole, the whole trip is, the whole goal is, is giving us the kayak to make it through the times of Mashiach. We don't have that. I, I always tell this thing about teenagers that, you know, te- the, big, the hardest time, the hardest is bringing up teenagers. They don't want to be teenagers. You don't want them to be teenagers. The parents don't want teenagers. The te- Nobody wants any part of it. So I came up with this brilliant idea that I was going to make millions of dollars. A nursing home for teenagers. <laughs> it's a true story. I had investors. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? This is what we're going to do. We're going to take teenagers and we're going to take them in and then we're going to put them into an induced coma 
I'm not kidding. Right? From 13 till 20. Then we're going to wake them up. They're going to be adults. And they... What? <laughs> not yet. Not yet. Right? But it was a lot of money to pay every year to pay. Right? And the parents will have a rest for seven years. The teachers will have a rest. The kids are happy. I don't need to go through this. They're going to wake up. They're 20 years old. And the answer is, no. They're going to wake up. They're going to be still 13 years old. Because they didn't have the seven years experience to grow. So it's not going to work. And all my investors backed out. You have to go through the teenage years to make it for, for, the, for the... You have to go through that struggle in order to make it... Otherwise, life would, work, would run the other way. You'd start at 100 and run down to zero. It would run the life would run the would run the other way. You start at hundred and down and down and down and down and down, and down, and down right, right? But your experiences at 60, 40, 50, 30 is not going to help you when you're seven years old. It has to go the other way. You need one to twenty to help you to get from twenty on. So we're gonna go back down that way. What is a seven year old gonna do with eighty years of experience? Nothing. Nothing. So it's a waste. We have to go the opposite way. So we're gonna end. I'm used to speaking for two hours. You gotta be careful over here. I get, I get to the shtender and I'm speaking for two hours. What? Yes, I'm gonna end with this, with this story. And I think it's a very, and also important that I have another cup. Yeah, okay, Mitch, we'll, we'll continue in the, in the next year. So, the story is as follows. This is also very, very important and it's about life. And I think that you need to tell this story over to your children and to your husbands and to whoever you know. And it's one of my most favorite stories in the whole world because it's, it's extremely, extremely real. So, there was a king who had a very beautiful daughter. And everybody wanted to marry her. And he didn't know what to do. Who am I, who's going to be the husband? She says, you know what? I want to be fair to all, my, all the people in my country. So I'm going to build a tower. It's going to have a thousand steps. Huge, huge steps. And I'm going to start at sunset till sunrise. And the guy that gets to the top step, there's a tower. And in that tower is the princess. And a special surprise. And whoever gets up there gets the princess. So he'll have to be strong. He'll have to be fast. He'll have to be smart. How to get up there. And that's what I want. So everybody heard about this. And everybody wanted the princess because you're going to get yourself a good schwer. He's going to support you forever. Right? This is the best. She's very beautiful, they heard. So thousands of guys lined up at sunset. And they only have till sunrise to get to that top step. If you don't make it by sunrise, it's over. So, yeah, well, these guys, and they're all talking, and they're trash talking. I'm going to make it. I'm going to make it. I'm faster than you. I'm going to get the princess. And they're all talking. Boom. The siren goes off. The sun sets. They all start up the steps. Now, the guys were very heavy and out of shape. By the time they got to the 50th step, they couldn't breathe anymore. So, you know, you know guys, we're very, we, don't, we don't ever give up. We have excuses. So, at the 50th step, they started saying, like, you know, I could make this. You know, I could win. But I think the whole thing is nonsense because you can't make a thousand steps by sunrise. So the, the king's just watching and, and laughing. The whole thing's a joke. So I'm, I'm not going to be a fool. You think I'm going to be made a fool of? And they turn around and they walk down because no guy's going to say, I can't make it. That's a guy thing, right? So this continues, this continues, and they get into the 200 steps and 300 steps and 400 steps. And then it, it's getting close to sunrise and the 500 step. And guys are like, you know what? He gave us a task that was impossible. You can't, you can't do this in, in eight, eight hours or ten hours, whatever it took. You can't do this. The king's making a fool out of us. And everyone starts to go down. And they're all talking. And everyone's talking to each other. And they're like, he set us up for this. He knew that we couldn't do this. The princess is probably up there laughing at all these idiots trying to run up the steps. And the king's laughing. This whole thing is a big joke. 
And people start to run down and run down. I'm not going to be, when the sun rises, I'm not going to be left on those steps that everybody can laugh at me. And slowly but surely, everyone ends up going down. And two guys. Two guys are left. One of them keeps telling his friend, listen to me. Don't listen to those other guys. I'm telling you, I know the king. The king is not a joker. He doesn't make jokes. If he said we can make it, we can make it. So whoever gets it first gets the princess, and the other guy gets a surprise. Deal? Deal. Okay. There's 45 minutes left to sunrise. They're at step number 700. They have 300 more steps. There's no way you're doing it in 45 minutes. So his friend says to him, listen, now we know that what you're saying is not true. The king is making a joke. Because 300 steps in 45 minutes, we know we can't do. So, And we were running the whole way. And we're fast. There's a mashma that the king is going to be sitting there when the sun rises with his friends. And they're all going to be laughing at these two fools who try to go up a thousand steps in eight hours. I will not be on these steps that everyone's going to laugh at me. I am going down. And his friend says, listen to me. You did 700 steps. I don't understand any better than you. I don't have an answer. You're right. It's impossible. It, we, we can't do it. But I know him. He's not a joker. And if he, if he made a contest, that means in some way, please, I'm begging you, you did 700 steps. Don't go down. You'll get the prize. He says, you are full. You are an absolute fool. You're going to be up here alone. The whole country, is, you're going to be the laughing stock of everybody. You're going to be in every bar. You're going to be in every newspaper. You are the biggest fool. And he starts to run down. So this guy's left alone on the 700th step. And he's like, I don't understand what's going on here. He happens to be right. I, I, should, I, should I go another 50 steps in 45 minutes, another 80 steps? I'm not going to make it anyway. Maybe I should just sit on this step. Or maybe I should go down like him. But I know the king. And the king doesn't play games. I'm going to do my best in the next 45 minutes. Steps on the next step. And the step opens up. And an elevator comes up. And he's like, what? And the door opens. And he goes inside. There's a bottle of champagne with a flower. With one button. P, not penthouse. Princess. <laughs> right? He pushes the button. This thing zips up the steps to the top of the tower. As he gets out of the as as he gets out of the elevator, he turns around as he steps onto the platform where the princess is. His friend steps off the stairs. He's on the top. His friend who was running down is on the bottom. And he turns around. And he says, "You idiot! There was an elevator." The guy can't hear him. He's already off the steps. 700 steps down. And he walks into the room, and there she is, sitting on her throne, the princess. And he turns to the princess and he says, What's the surprise besides you? Oh, the surprise? My sister. He says, What? You have a twin sister? And he looks down and he sees his friend on the bottom. He says, You follow! I told you the king doesn't play games! What a story. What a ridiculous story. Why is it such a ridiculous story? God, we know, doesn't give you a test that you can't handle. So when it gets very, very hard, you need to know that even though this step, it looks like it's impossible. It's not going to happen. It's impossible. I can't do this. My kid can't, we can't do this. Right? Because Baruch Hu 
gave you this assignment to do, then the next step is the next step is the elevator or the following step. But he doesn't play games. God doesn't play games. He's not sitting here to watch anyone suffer. He's not sitting here that he can sit on a throne and laugh. Believe me, there's a lot funnier things than what we're doing. So we need to know that in life, that's a Pasha Stuma. It looks like 300 more steps in 45 minutes. Pasha Stuma, I can't do this. It's impossible. Take the next step. Because the next step, there might be an elevator. Or maybe two steps away. And if you have a friend that's giving up, tell them the story. So the worst thing to do is that when you finally hit the elevator, your friend is at the bottom. He could have had his princess too. But God is not a comedian. And He's not here to laugh or to put you in pain. So there is an elevator somewhere. And sometimes it's the hardest, it's the next step, and there's a second left. And, and, and that's where the elevator is. And therefore, in the last parsha, parsha's Vayichi, when Klai Yisrael is going into Golis, when they lost their Shvatim, they lost their father, Yaakov Avinu, and the last one to die at the end of Pashas Vayichi is Yosef. Vayamas Yosef. And Yosef died. And they mummified him. Vayisem Ba'aram B'Mitzrayim. The end of Barashas. The end of the whole right going into Golas is they put him in an Aram in Mitzrayim. And it looks like we're going into the worst time. Who is going to help Kleisrael? Who's going to save us? They're all dead. Shvatim are dead. Yosef's dead. Yaakov, they're all gone. How are we going to be able to make it? We all get up and shul the Shabbos and we say, Chazak, Chazak, Chazak. Who's going to help us in Golos? Take the gematria of Chazak. Chazak, Ches, Zion, Kuf, is 115. Ches is 8, right? Zion is 7, 8, and 7 is 15. And a Kuf is 100. It's 115. We say it three times. Chazak, Chazak, Chazak. What's 115 times 3? 345. We're in the worst time. We're going into the tribe. We have no leaders. And Kleisrel is screaming, Chazak, Chazak, Chazak. Because we were screaming for one name that was going to help us and take us out of Mitzrayim. Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe is Mem Shin Hei, 345. So in the biggest time of pain, when we think it's all over and we think we can't get anymore, and it's Vayamas Yosef, and there's nobody left, we're in Shul saying, Oh, that, 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 those people who helped Klai Yisrael, they're gone. But we're going into a, a gullus, but we have a leader, and his name is Moshe Rabbeinu. We don't even realize that when we say chazak, 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 we're saying chazak, chazak, be strong, don't worry. 345, it's 345. We, the next step is the elevator. Now, because Bokhul give, give us all the schus that Taka Klai Yisrael should step on that next step, and the elevator should take us to the base of Migdash from Harry You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.